Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This is part two of our two-part series on British Airways Flight 5390. Be sure to listen to part one before jumping into this episode. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Mariah. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Where's my pop filter? Here it is. Yay. Can you all tell the difference? <laughs> I can tell the difference. I think you can, I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. I can when I listen, but not while I am literally speaking the words, I guess, which makes you know. sense. <laughs> okay. No. Yeah. I think we pop the same. I think it just sounds different. Perfect. Good. It is also also worth mentioning that it is two minutes before our scheduled record time truly and a miracle yes this is a miracle <laughs> it's i don't know it's gonna be a good one yeah i think we're, we're off to a good start and yeah. we are telling the rest of a truly thrilling story yeah right? this is the second half of the story of british airways 5390 yes the investigation part right exactly Perfect. exactly so for anybody who is just dropping in, uh, we talked last week about British Airways 5390. So you should definitely be sure to check that episode out first. Uh, this one conceivably would make sense without listening to it. But why listen to the second half of something <laughs> where you can listen to both? <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. But to recap, so uh, essentially during that flight, uh, BAC 111 took off. Um, on the way to Malaga from the UK and uh, shortly into the flight the windshield popped off the plane and took the pilot the captain with it and he then uh, was held there by flight attendants who held his legs uh, until the plane landed and everybody lived yeah yeah incredible it's still incredible yeah yeah, it's amazing. And I think they're all still alive. Like, I think they're all still living right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Because it wasn't that long ago. No, it, was it 1990. really wasn't. <laughs> 1990. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what's interesting about today is um, that we are just talking about the investigation. And in some of the stories that we've done, we've talked about um, what the investigation was like in briefer terms. But mm-hmm. I honestly, the reason I picked the idea of doing an entire episode on this investigation is because I feel so connected to the people involved in this one. I just, I think it's a really good way of like helping. um, uh, I think it's a good way of displaying for people who are either in aviation or outside of it, how aviation works, how blame is assigned, how, Mm -hmm mistakes happen in the first place and i just think it's really worth telling so great i'm excited yeah so uh going back to last week or 1990 (laughs) whichever you prefer to think of it as um we have the windshield popped off right that's the problem Mm -hmm. nothing else was wrong with the plane right nothing else was wrong with the crew the problem was that the windshield popped off and when it popped off the uh aircraft you know, uh, depressurized. So that actually is the first piece of it that's worth understanding. Um, And I mentioned this briefly last week, the uh, most of the planes that you fly on probably 
the windshield is physically inside the aircraft. It's connected to the aircraft from the inside, which means that when the cabin pressurizes, right, and there's uh, internal the air pressure on the inside is greater than the air pressure on the outside. So it's pushing everything out, right? Like a balloon that you filled up with air, Mm -hmm. right? So the air pressure inside of the cabin, when the cabin is at, when the plane is at altitude is keeping the windshield in place, Mm -hmm. right? They call this plug style, right? Because as the air pressure increases, the windshield is actually more firmly affixed to the plane. Uh, the 111, uh, this aircraft, has externally affixed windshields, meaning that the windshield lays on the outside of the aircraft and then it's bolted into place, which means that when the cabin is pressurized, when the plane is pressurized, the forces are pushing the windshield away and the only thing holding them on is the are the bolts themselves. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's just, again, I mean, you try a lot of different ways. Like that's the thing about engineering, right? Like you find like an ingenious solution to a small thing, like somebody out there thought of the idea of affixing the windshield from the inside and thought like, oh, this will be great. This will make sense. And that's what's so cool about engineering. But the thing that's tricky about competition is that not everybody gets that idea, right? Other people do it like against the way that's intuitive to them. Or when you're designing it, you design it like, okay, yeah, attach the windshield to the outside of the plane. Sure. Bolt it in place. I mean, it seems like an ingenious idea though. The plug side. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just, that's amazing to me. I had no idea it was that way. Yeah. It's crazy how much um, we are two people who are not engineers but every time i find out about like a really clever engineering thing i'm like oh that's yeah, yeah it's like oh that makes so much sense all of our engineer but... listeners are just like oh my god this is for you guys so please i hope it's i hope you enjoy it and if you don't if i make a million mistakes i i do so want to know what the mistakes were because i appreciate engineers so so much and want to get it yeah. right to the best of my to the best of my ability. We but, hear we hear uh, from some engineers giving us the business yeah, we do. and it's always nice. Yeah, it's we... very cool. Oh, it's it's fast. like the best when someone has a like a little niche and they're just they just know. Yeah, being an expert in your oh. field is always yeah. cool. Um so this as I think we mentioned last week which we already talked about uh when like this plane had just come out of maintenance where that windshield was replaced that's the last thing that happened to this plane it hadn't had a single flight since that happened Mm. right um so when the pilots got into the plane they looked at the logbook saw the plane had just come out of maintenance that the windshield had been replaced so when the plane lands after this extreme incident right uh that was the first thing everybody noticed right so uh, we're gonna talk mainly about two gentlemen they're gonna be the people we talk about the most uh stewart is the first guy we're gonna meet so stewart is the head investigator um we'll come to the second gentleman shortly so stewart gets to the aircraft and checks it out right so they check for did a bird strike shatter the hmm. window no. wait sorry and stewart is with who Stuart is the head investigator of like who's doing the investigating oh the british ah, okay 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 yeah. yeah so like their version of the ntsb whatever gotcha. it is so the british um 
so Stuart works for the British version of the NTSB, whatever their um, investigative yeah. body is when there's cool. an aircraft, an aviation incident. So Stuart's the lead investigator. Stuart gets there, checks out first. Is there uh, something, did something break the window, right? Did something hit the plane and break the window? No. Um, is there some malformation in the fuselage, right? So he like checks around to see are, you know, maybe the metal that around the windshield had warped in some way over time. Uh, nope, looks fine. There's a decent amount of the captain's blood Oof. all over the plane around the windshield, but he's alive. He's fine. Yeah. Uh, they don't know necessarily at the first that first like hour or so when he got there that the pilot's fine, but he's we all know yeah. Happy and yeah. he's fine. So he's like, you know, checking it out. He sees the captain's blood. He doesn't see any uh, reason to think that anything hit the windshield. He doesn't really know what's going on. Um, but the windshield is is gone, right? So he also checks the logbook and sees like oh the windshield was literally just replaced so he like hops in his car or whatever and goes over to the hangar the aircraft hangar where the plane had been uh where the windshield had been replaced right so he gets there keep in mind so the windshield initially uh fucked off into nowhere <laughs> at 8 33 a.m mm -hmm. right so it's it's still early morning. The he's uh, Stewart is there doing his investigation. He goes over to the aircraft hangar, and the uh, he wants to interview the maintenance worker who had replaced the windshield. But turns out maintenance workers work overnights because of course yep. they do because you want to be flying your plane right. during the day. So maintenance workers do all of their labor overnight. So the guy who had done that repair was. You know, it's his midnight. He was at home in mm. bed. So Stuart thinks like, okay, well, I'm not going to like, like pull this guy out of bed. So he um, takes all of the logs and stuff, anything like the records that they have at the hangar. He takes those because he doesn't want people to mess with them. Right. And he um, asks for like a tour of the facility. Right. So while he's doing that, they find the windshield. What? So. Yeah, they find the windshield. It's in Chosey, Chosley, Chosey, <laughs> I don't know, uh, in a place in the UK. They find the windshield. And when they find the windshield, there's 90 bolts that hold the windshield in place. There's 84 of those bolts still in Whoa. the windshield. Yeah. So the vast majority of the bolts are sitting there in the windshield, right? So Stuart goes, gets the windshield, right? Checks it out and sees that these are not the right bolts. No. These are the wrong no. damn bolts. So we're going to learn a little bit about Yay. bolts now. Yeah. So um, and what's very interesting. So everyone's going to learn something. Men, women, everyone in between <laughs> is going to learn something today because bolts apparently are measured, at least in the British system. It's it's a bra rules, right? Bra sizing rules. Okay. So, um, with a so if you are not a person who wears a bra, the way bras are measured, okay, is there's a number and then a letter. The number uh, indicates the we're gonna call it length, mm. right? So it's the length from connection to mm. connection on a bra, right, yeah. around your body, and then the letter is the size of each yeah. cup, right? So that is how <laughs> bolts are measured in England. So there's a number and a letter. And what they stand for is length and diameter, mm. right? So this 
windshield is supposed to be affixed by 8D bolts. So 8 is the length. It stands for 0.8 inches. D is the diameter. And I don't remember the number. So (laughs) the diameter, right? So inside this windshield that they found are mostly 8C. 8C bolts right so two sizes yeah. too small in both regards so a little a tiny bit too short literally a tenth of an inch oh. too short and like the tiniest tiniest imaginable um amount too uh thin yeah. right in diameter right so this is kind of it right like Stuart sees this Stuart knows, okay, well, what happened is somebody put their yeah. own bolts in, okay? But Stuart is a fair yeah. man. Stuart is not just going to say, like, oh, okay, so it's the maintenance guy's fault, like, case closed, fire him, whatever, right? Stuart wants to know more. Stuart wonders. <laughs> like, he's curious. He's a curious guy. Stuart. So Stuart goes back to, he still has to do his investigation. He still has to interview the um, maintenance worker. Like, all that stuff is important. So Stuart... Uh, goes the next evening, I guess, to in, uh, have his interview with our boy. And that's what I wrote him, called yes. him in my notes. Okay, so our man, oh. our boy, my yes. boy, our boy, all of our boy, like this, he's a grown ass <laughs> man. I don't mean any disrespect by calling him a boy, but he's this a is blue collar like, worker. This is our, right, this yeah. is our man, yeah. this is our boy. This, this is who we want to root for. Like, you know him. Yes, you know him. Mm-hmm. I know him. Mm-hmm. We all know this guy. This is a consummate professional, blue collar dude. It's the nineties in yeah. England. Like whatever you're picturing, like it's your dad, it's my dad. <laughs> He's just yeah. a guy, right? And so our guy cares about his job. Our guy is totally prepared for this interview because he knows he did the right thing. He's sure he did mm-hmm. the right thing. He knows that that windshield popped out of that plane. And it couldn't have anything to do with him because he does his job well. So he sits down for the interview and Stuart says, so the size is supposed to be 8D and instead they were 7C. Oh. Like it's supposed to be this size, but they, they're too small. And our boy says, <laughs> no. <laughs> he says, no, I put exactly the same bolts in oh, that I my took God. out. Right. So he says he's insistent. He says, no, I took like whatever the bolts that came out of that windshield are the bolts yeah. I put back in, period. Right. So then he's but Stuart's kind of like, uh, I don't know what to tell you, my dude, like they were seven C's. They're supposed to be D's. like yeah. they're too small. And he goes, oh, he's like, no, I know. I remember what wastebasket I threw them out in. We'll go to the garbage and get the old bolts out. Right. He he like runs over like our boy finds yeah. the waste space waste paper basket why would i choose that word he finds the garbage well because it's only one day afterwards right yeah this is all yeah. really really fast this is happening quick so he finds the garbage digs out literally like yes. of the 90 bolts that he threw out he finds yep, almost he all of them right yes he did and those bolts are 70 so for reference again just to make sure we're all following yeah. along so they're supposed to be 8d which means he, in fact, took out of the plane 70, which means they were a little too short, but they were mm. the right diameter, right? So 
but we don't have that whole conversation. Our boy Stuart isn't a uh, maintenance guy. Right. He doesn't know. So he just takes the takes the um, bolts and takes them to, you know, the other investigators. They're checking all of this out, right? So in looking at it, they, you know, determine, okay, so what happened was, at least part of what happened was somebody four years ago put the wrong size bolts in the plane had been flying around with the wrong size bolts in the windshield for four oh my years word. yes and for all we know before that it had the wrong size bolts in it too, yeah right so when our boy changed it out he thought he was replacing like with like he looked at the bolts went measured them, whatever so Stuart is thinking about all this and again Stuart knows that our boy really wanted yeah. to do a good job he knows that our boy again consummate yeah, professional yeah. he's he's the man he fixes these things he's good at what he does but he also knows that our boy fucked up <laughs> like he knows that at the end of the day like yeah. it doesn't look good for our boy so he really wants to have like an honest open communication with mm-hmm. our boy right so he uh, decides that he's going to have like a casual, comfortable, relaxed interview with him. So not at work, not at some big stuffy <laughs> office. He rents a nice hotel room. He rents a nice hotel room. <laughs> he gets I can't. He gets some some tasty food. He makes it nice. And Stuart decides he's going to bring a behavioral psychologist. What? <laughs> he's going to bring up behavioral psychologists. So in the past and today, if uh, you are a pilot, certainly, and you make some kind of error and you are not there to ask, or maybe if you're there right. to ask, right, they might bring a behavioral psychologist in to get like a deeper understanding of how this error took place, right? Like what you believed to be what you're supposed to do, how you felt in that moment, why you made the decision you did. I see. I see. But so this is like a, has... this is actually a common thing. Well, it's a common thing for pilots, but it is not a <laughs> common thing guy, for right? the maintenance guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, but whatever, there's a staff or like, you know, somebody is in the, bullpen or whatever for british airways psych- uh, behavioral yeah. psychologists so he asked that guy to come with him to this interview so they get there right and they have kind of like gathered these you know some of the details but they're going to go through it again with our boy right so i wrote all this down because it's a pretty intricate okay. little story because our boy comes to this comfortable opulent hotel room and spills all oh. the tea on British Airways maintenance, right? Oh. He he, a explains himself, and he explains like everything. Yes, right. So this is literally I had to write down like so many steps. Okay, so on the night before, so June 9th, nineteen ninety, right? Uh, our boy goes to work. Uh, he one of his tasks that he has to do is replace the windshield on this one eleven, right? Oh, on what did we call it? What was the name of the plane? Oh, again? the county the of county yeah of something. Balmoral. Yeah, so he's in charge of like replacing the windshield on the county of Balmoral <laughs> or whatever. So, so uh, he has a bunch of stuff he has to do at four a.m. 
4 a.m., it's time to start uh, changing the windshield mm-hmm. on this plane. The hangar is packed with planes, and this plane has been shoved up against the door of the hangar, which means that he has to, like, squeeze up and then lean across the fuselage to get to the windshield. So he can't be right on top of what he's doing. He has to stretch his body. So if you imagine, my understanding, again, I haven't seen a picture of this, but from the description, I believe he had to like climb a ladder or stairs or whatever up the, if you're looking straight ahead at the plane. So if you're looking straight ahead uh, at the nose of the plane, the, the captain would be on the right and the first officer would be on the left. And the right side is what he had to replace. But he had to climb up the left side and then lean across Jeez. the nose of the plane to replace this thing. Yeah, crazy, right? So 4 a.m., time to start changing this windshield. Climbs up, leans across, right? Starts unscrewing all of the screws, right? Takes them all out. And again, these screws that have been in there bolts whatever i don't know i know screws and bolts are different somehow i don't know how they're different i apologize so he takes the bolts out uh these again are uh seven d's which means they are the right diameter but they are not the right length so he takes them all out doop de doop runs down uh, he decides so here's the thing so apparently it's a classic move uh, according to our boy, right, when he's in this interview spilling mm. everything on British Airways maintenance, apparently the normal thing to do would be to just use those exact same bolts, just throw those same bolts that came off, Jeez. same bolts go back in. So unscrew the bolts, uh, get a new windshield, use the exact same bolts to reaffix the new windshield. But our boy yeah. cares about his job. Yeah. He cares about safety. He wants to make sure that this windshield yeah. doesn't go anywhere. No. <laughs> I know. So he takes the old bolts and he goes over to uh, get new ones. And again, I don't know if this is a terminology thing, but it said when I was like researching it, they called it the parts (laughs) shop. I assume he's not paying for them, but he runs over to the parts shop. Right. And uh, there's a bunch of books. There's a computer because it's the future. Mm. It's 1990 where you can look up what size bolts you're supposed to use. But our boy is a consummate mm. professional. He knows he mm-hmm. can do a good eye match. Oh, no. So he goes up. There's the parts manager um, guy working there. So he's looking you know, through all the bolts, eye measuring them, right? Just like holding up the bolts side by side and trying to find the right matching one. And he says, I need some... Uh, I need, he, he accurately recognized that the bolts in his hand were 70s. So he says to the parts guy, I need, you know, 97D bolts for that 111 over there. Parts guy goes, no, my dude, no, 8D, oh, 8D wow. so for he the knew. 111. And he said, yeah, he knew. And he told him. And he said, no, I just took out 7Ds. Look, in my hand, 7Ds. These just came out of the plane. And the guy goes, I don't know what to tell you. 8Ds are what go in there. And he's like, you're not a maintenance guy, are you? Parts monkey or whatever? No, of course <laughs> He didn't not. insult him, but I assume. I don't know. I mean, the British are very <laughs> insulting, so maybe he did. But it would have been all in fun, yeah. all in good fun for them. But uh, So the parts guy says, well, I don't know what to tell you because we don't have 8Ds. Uh, anyway we don't have them so our boy could take these eight d's that he believes are the wrong bolts but he believes in himself he believes in his eye match he knows what he took out he's gonna put the same bolts back in so he gets in his car and drives across the airport to the other hangar 
goes in. Now it's like 5.30 in the morning. And again, super dark. I don't know what the deal is with the, this other hangar. I don't know if it's chaotic. I don't know if it's messy. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, the place where the bolts are kept mm. is dark, apparently, according to our boy when he's spilling all the tea, okay? <laughs> this area is dark. So he's eye-matching them, right? So again, he's already one size too short. And in the dark of that hangar, he also picks bolts that are too <sighs> thin. So he ends up with... Uh, bolts that are off by two sizes one that he that was because one of those was because he like because the old bolts were yeah wrong <laughs> and the other because now his eye match uh. fails so his eye match fails here he gets ones that are too thin which you if you imagine holding up two bolts it would be harder to see if the, they were if the diameter oh is yeah absolutely or too wide right length is like a little more visible yeah. i don't know so our boy takes 90 of <laughs> these wrong bolts fascinatingly six of those weren't even mm. right six of those weren't seven c's they weren't matching right six of them were like eight something else but so apparently in the bolts pile or whatever some of them are not organized properly anyway Jeez. a side note but he thinks he takes back seven d's but he's actually got her seven c's but the plain d's, right. are eight d's so he brings them all back again he has to stretch across the plane so under normal circumstances a consummate professional like our boy would be able to see as he screwed them in that they weren't the right size right but he can't see what he's doing because it's dark it's a hangar it's six o'clock in the morning and he has to lean across so he's not looking directly down Jeez. at what he's doing so he screws them in can't see they're the wrong size signs off and then the literally he signed off at 6 a.m and then two and a half hours later the oh windshield gosh. is gone and that's just like one thing yeah. that's off about that whole process is too many and there were just boom 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 exactly exactly so he tells that whole story to Stuart and the clinical psychologist and Stuart is shocked <laughs> Stuart did not expect um this yeah. level of honesty right but he keeps asking more questions so he says you know like okay let's go through that story so normally like under normal circumstances let's say you're not too busy would you have uh like looked at the manual or checked the computer to see uh, what size bolts needed to go in it says if we did that we would we'd be a year behind. Whoa. we'd be a year behind on on getting planes out he's like we have no time to do all of that you know we use eye matching all the time we just like figure it out we have to he doesn't even call it cutting corners he again truly feels like this is yeah. just what we have to do like this is just it's it's he doesn't think of it as like doing a bad job he doesn't think of it as skipping steps he thinks of it as doing exactly the right thing when you're this yeah. busy right so he asks okay so you like never check the manuals or check that and he's like well no especially not when i have the old bolts oh, like when God. i can match them right 
Yeah. So he asks him, you know, about like, okay, so it sounds like your workload is very heavy, right? And he just said, like, yeah, it's super, super heavy. So we, you know, just have to get things done. Like we make it work. People want their planes. Like it's, and again, going back to this idea that everything in aviation is about like Mm -hmm. staying on time, right? That's why your gate agent never feels that bad when you're late for the flight by the way because like the whole entire thing is all about being on time right so he knows that this plane is supposed to be in the air because let's not forget british airways gave them a plane that night that needed to be back in the air the next morning like that's that's british airways that timed it that way not that changing windshield takes that long it is just an example right it's an example of how the amount of time that you have to do some kind of maintenance. Right. I mean, what if, yeah, like, what if something did happen and they didn't have enough of those bolts? Like, you know? Yeah. Sure. Or, and again, like, the idea, every second a plane is just sitting somewhere, it's losing money, right? The keeping it in the hangar costs money, right? Having it, uh, you want your plane in the air all the time as often as possible. So, the um i want to make sure i catch all these details so stewart asks him you know why when the parts manager like told you the proper size would be 8d like why didn't you listen to him and he's like because i'm an engineer he's the parts guy (laughs) which is reasonable i get it i get it but also i think there is a lot of that i'm just gonna say in aviation where um somebody might somebody might know something but we're all really siloed right like everybody is like pilots have one kind of main job right everybody has their own job that they're supposed to do and that they are in charge of and that's the biggest part so again our boy say he grabbed eight d's and they were the wrong size that's going to be on our boy nobody is going to care if he says well the parts guy told me they were eight d's right it's he's not responsible and that's the biggest thing in aviation is it's there's always one person that they yeah. can find to blame right there's one person who is like either because they're in charge or because they're um like the person who hit the button or the person that did the thing so it's on them which brings us back to the idea where Stuart asks you know so what about uh, like your manager like why hasn't your manager ever like encouraged you to check the books or i was gonna say that is like that's particularly shocking to me because you like everything is so repetitive and everything is checked 25 times so to not require that they check the friggin manual well right and but that's the thing so technically Ah, it is required right technically it's required but if they did everything they were oh that's what he's saying i see it would never ever ever get done yeah. And so the person who's in charge of the facility, right, also 100% knows that they're not checking the manuals. He's not confused. Right. He knows they're not checking. He sees them not checking, but he wants it to get done on time. Right. And again, people trust their instincts. You do this every single day. I'm sure that our boy has replaced yeah. 100,000 windows. I'm sure that he's matched by eye accurately an infinite number of bolts. Right. So he asked, you know, like about the supervisor. So obviously your supervisor knows that you're not checking the computers, know that you're not, you know, verifying the size. Right. And he was like, yeah, like, of course he does. Because, again, our boy does not believe he did anything wrong. And so he is just saying everything. He's telling the exact the best kind. Truth and nothing but the truth. 
Oh, I love him. The dad. I love him. So, so they have like a very, very, very long conversation. They get so much information, right? They write, start to write their report, right? And as they're writing the report, what they blame it on Mm. is British Airways. They say this is a systemic failure of British Airways whole system, right? Like you, yeah. So they write the report like that. And then British Airways goes after them hard. British Airways says, you can't put that in there. Like, because again, A, we already have a person to blame. And that's what we do, right? That's what all airlines do. We find a person who is to blame. And so Mm. you blame him. They said that you didn't follow normal procedure, which is also very true. (laughs) He, Stuart (laughs) did not follow normal procedure. Stuart had a luxurious lunch with our with the best <laughs> gossip ever the scariest gossip ever Stuart. with our boy but he uh so because he didn't follow normal procedures right they and because he didn't have like there was no precedent for having a behavioral psychologist help to write the report mm. when it's a maintenance failure right so british airways won that little squabble so they couldn't write it and say like British Airways is to blame, period. So when they did write their report, what they said was, okay, so this maintenance guy made this mistake. He failed to follow procedure, which is true. But they said British Airways knows that everyone's (laughs) failing to follow this procedure. British Airways is aware of that and does nothing about it. Yes, Stuart. Benefit from it. Mm. yes Stuart tore them apart and I mean not really he just did his job which is to find out who's to blame and he told the whole story instead of just blaming Stuart or just blaming our boy so they wrote this like no one has ever before or since written a report like this like he went all in had the behavioral psychologist did the damn thing and the uh british airways once again so this is the government report british airways has their own investigation that they do where they just said oh it's the maintenance guy's fault and just closed the book but because he wrote this like cataclysmic report as a you know a government investigator they british airways had to like step up their practices they had to actually enforce that people do things the way that they are supposedly doing it right so they say like oh this is our policy but we don't give you enough time to do it that way right so they had to change their practices because of what Stuart did i have no idea what happened to our no so hard i can't find his name I i want so badly to know that he's okay i want nothing more than for him to be totally fine and like living on a pension i couldn't find anything about him i guess it's good that like we don't know his name yeah i mean it definitely protects his identity especially if you know there had to be more processes in place because of his conversation i would imagine that easily like that would come back to haunt him (sighs) on the from the day to day you know like ugh, yeah stupid bob yeah. and his friggin right. open mouth now we have to check that right. we read the manual like yeah yeah or even getting yeah. fired just yeah. just because of the error right and like i hope he didn't get fired because of the error or i hope i don't know i just hope in one way or the other that he's okay if anybody ever hears this and knows who he is yep 
like please tell him yeah. i love him i have nothing but respect for him he's the best um i'm sorry this happened i'm sorry you were a part of this mistake but good job but... you did the right thing but you did good job yeah you yeah. told the truth yeah he told the truth the way people tell the truth yeah. when they don't feel guilty right like he didn't have to mince words because he did right. not believe he had done anything wrong right. he didn't have a guilty conscience, and on top so... of that i'm sure he felt terrible yeah. about the situation yeah yeah uh, yeah uh, i'm so glad that, that would be too much because it would it's so it's so yeah. so so sad when like maintenance errors mm. are the thing that like causes a plane crash with deaths because like i mean you can do maintenance years before yeah the actual incident happens and if you do the maintenance wrong it can right. cause deaths i mean it's horrible so did they did they figure out who initially put the wrong size in so i mm -hmm. think they must know all of this stuff like all of these records are kept so i think that must be known but i don't think they went I never yeah. heard anything about that person or if they like, I don't know, four years later, I don't know if you could really get in trouble for a mistake right. you made four years later. I just don't know because you now have four more years of experience. Like you're not right. the same person that did that. I, I don't know what the deal is on that. I never heard any mention of that yeah. person, but yeah, they were wrong at the beginning. Like that is what started yeah. this little avalanche. Jeez. And do we know what happened to Stewart or no? He just kept working on for the government. Yeah, Stewart kept Stewart kept working for the government. Stewart, I love Stewart <laughs> too. Like God bless you, Stewart, because you could have been done yeah. like two days later. You could have just said maintenance guy's fault. Goodbye. Yeah, but you and went now, the extra I mean, mile. it's safer now because of that. Which, like, good. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Wow. Yeah. There's like, I think that most people who work in aviation who are listening to this probably know where they work, what the corners are that get cut, that the yeah. management looks the other way on because it saves time. And that's still a very real problem and i don't want to go into too many details about this because like this is a real person i don't know if they want their mm -hmm. story out there more than it already is but there was a person uh, a ramp guy who was killed at mm. jfk a couple years ago and again without going into all the details they blamed him. They said, Jeez. oh, you didn't follow procedure. 
But that procedure is one that is never followed. And it's never followed because if they follow that procedure, they put Mm. your plane in danger of being late. And it doesn't put passengers in danger, right? Really the only person who's in danger when they don't follow that procedure is the ramp guys. And that pressure, ramp guys, like six or seven or eight ramp guys die every single year. And it's a lot of that. It's it's a lot of like the normal mistakes, but they're mistakes that come because you're in a hurry. Like and as a result of I their job, that, they die every year. That's way too many. Yeah, like on the tarmac. I, I totally agree. I completely agree. And I just think that ramp guys, and I know that you know lots of women actually work on the ramp, so I don't mean to in any way negate that. But people who work on the ramp are doing a genuinely dangerous job. And their bosses, Delta, United, whoever it is, know mm. what corners they're cutting and look the other way on it. And I do think that that's one of the places that's still not. Yeah. Doesn't get the attention it deserves because it doesn't mm. endanger the passengers, right? Like the NTSB doesn't do a report. At least I don't think they do. Someone can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the NTSB comes and writes a report wow. when a ramp guy gets killed. Because it's and maybe again, somebody uh, probably everybody listening to this probably knows more about it than I do. But I saw not with my own eyes, but I was like working in aviation at the airport when this young man was killed because of a mistake that God. they then blamed on him when really it it's it's a mistake that or it's a, it's a protocol that no one is following and maybe they are now i hope they are even if it makes right. your plane 10 minutes late sometimes right. i hope they're following this protocol but maybe we'll go into like more detail about it in the future um and maybe maybe it turns out i'm wrong maybe when they did go mm. into it deeper maybe that wasn't what happened yeah. but i'm pretty darn sure um because i yeah. talked to people i would about be interested time, to so. hear more about uh the ramp workers because i don't like i i have a fundamental idea of what they do and like understand their role but i don't think i i fully understand exactly what it is that makes their job so crazy like um not difficult but i mean yeah difficult but also dangerous yeah yeah um i i I know that some people who work on the ramp listen to this and I would love, 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 we would love um, to hear from you. Again, we'd always love to hear from anybody. Obviously, this whole episode was actually about engineers. So, of course, we'd like to listen to engineers. Um, But, yeah, it would be – there's kind of like two incidents. This incident that I'm describing, if you're listening to this and you know what I'm talking about and you would like to talk about it, we would – love 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 yeah. to give the opportunity to do that um if you also just know about another incident that happened on the ramp or anything like that that you want to talk about yeah, this, yeah these stories really deserve to be told and that's i guess why i'm bringing it up because you know maintenance errors because they're cataclysmic right when when something goes wrong like people are aware of those and there's you know investigations and obviously when pilots make errors and there's a cataclysmic uh, result, right? Uh, that's news, you know, like that's something you can look up. But a lot of times when ramp guys, when something happens on the ramp, that ramp worker is the only yeah. person who gets injured or dies. 
and well and like i'm trying to think of like a comparable position that's not a first responder where it would be acceptable that like six to seven ramp people die a year like if if target employees started dropping dead because they work at target like and obviously like i know that it's not comparable to a target employee but i'm just trying to think like and what other what other industry would we even would that even be applicable or would that be acceptable i just don't yeah maybe factory workers but even factory workers there's been like they've gone to yeah. great lengths to make factories safer and and you know and i know again that there's like trainings that everybody has to do every year um who if you work in the airport and a lot of it is ramp safety because you know when when i was a gate agent mm. we were allowed to go down onto the tarmac like we could be down there yeah. so we had to do a similar training and there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's intrinsically dangerous, right? Like getting too close to the engine from behind or in front of the engine. Like if you get too close to the engine when it's on, you can be ingested or you can be burned, right? By the, by the blasting air, right? And there's stuff like Mm. that that's kind of intrinsically dangerous. There's vehicles on the tarmac, right? If you ever are at the airport and you look out the window, you'll see people, you know, buzzing around in cars and stuff. You know, there's a lot of there's traffic Mm -hmm. out there that isn't just planes, but also the like equipment you're using, all of the heavy bags. Again, if you never actually like, God forbid that anyone should die. Right. But it's also a job where you're really likely to get injured. Like you're throwing bags around over your head and like, it's just an incredibly physical job. You're out there in the snow, you're out there in the heat. We definitely want to do, um, I, I, I want very badly to tell more stories about. Yeah. That is definitely something that interests me a lot. I also, I researched fuel dumping a little bit. Oh, do tell. And I feel, I just feel much better about it, you know. What did you just, learn that helped you feel better? Uh, it, it's, um, uh, like, I mean, so it's only used in emergency situations, which we said last time, which is good. Um, and, you know, you obviously said that it evaporates which is also good Mm -hmm. um and i don't know just like putting uh the the article that i was reading like put it really into perspective of like forgetting you know how many flights there are a year normally 2020 obviously is different but Mm. normally there are you know millions of flights billions of flights however many and the amount of fuel dumping that goes on is so small in comparison um the and and that it really just is so insignificant to um like the environment um and the just like the the independent reviews that have been and uh what's the word the scientific experiments there we go um you know that have been done just says that it's like it's such a small percentage um that it really doesn't have much of an impact on the environment. Okay. So basically, if I'm understanding you, it, it's not the best thing in the world to dump fuel into the ocean or into the sky or onto a, a school full of kindergartners. Right. But, right. but it saves lives and you don't want pilots to be 
so scared that they don't do it if they have to. Exactly. And the actual impact is negligible because it's so unusual. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like we have a bunch of pilots out here who want to see the environment burn to death that are just like no. recklessly dumping fuel over everything. No. Yeah. So it's, I, yeah, I, it's like very, very small, like the percentage of when it actually happens and how much it is and how much it does to the environment. So like the percentages are just so small. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for what it's worth, I could be wrong, but I think in general, a lot of people who work in aviation do tend to have a pretty tremendous appreciation for the world, right? Like yeah. People, you often get into aviation, at least the side of uh, aviation that pilots are on because you like traveling at least a little bit. Yeah. And it's hard not to appreciate you know, all the beautiful natural spaces of the world when you see them, when you fly around and, and visit those places. Right. So. Right. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. We're not mad at you. No, pilots, no not at all. I was mad. I was definitely angry. I get it. I, I was very <laughs> I confused and just uncertain about that practice, but I feel very good about it. Not good. I mean, it's still not good, but it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's much not- better. It's, it's not great, right, but it's, right. it's um, when you're in a bad situation, like, a, you know, terrifying aviation incident, right? Right. Or, then it's really, I, I also realized that a lot of people think the same thing that I used to think, which is that you dump fuel in order to keep the plane from um, catching on fire. Mm and um or having like a catastrophic explosion mm-hmm. and that's real right it is better to not have a plane full of fuel some of the stories that we have talked about some of the stories that we will talk about are much much worse and there's a much greater loss of life because they happened at the beginning of a flight when the plane was full of fuel right that's yeah. real but yeah the the more common this very, very rare practice yeah. is more often done when they need the weight of the plane to change in some way. Right. And this is obviously separate from those, like, very big accidents that happen or, like, you know, someone has gone rogue. Like, I read, I don't I don't know the story completely, but um, there was, like, a flight that needed to return to Newark and it had dumped, like... An insane amount of jet fuel over New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, you know, like that's that's not great. Um, it's not great, right? But it's also, I mean, again, like when so if our when I worked at JFK, right? If if we had our triple seven or in the past our seven four seven fully loaded, fully loaded with cargo, people, bags, everything, and fuel, mm-hmm. if it took off needed to come back immediately that it's just going to have to dump a tremendous amount of fuel i mean enough fuel to get a 747 or a 777 from new york to tokyo nonstop. exactly yeah exactly but i don't want i don't want a 777 or 747 to run off the runway at jfk either right like it's i'm actually that did we could talk about it another time but (laughs) yeah that's happened yeah like we've had planes that have taken off and needed to return immediately and they gotta go out there and dump a bunch of fuel it's just yeah yeah it's not ideal but it is um i i uh, given again keeping everything in perspective it's just the right choice yeah if 
if you're choosing between dumping fuel or having you know 245 people die you know right. and sure yeah it's yeah, yeah exactly it's it's kind of well because then it's like because at first what i was thinking is like obviously we don't want anybody on the plane to die but are these environmental impacts going to kill us in the future anyways like you know um is it going to be significant enough to make an impact um right and it's it doesn't appear to be so Right. I'm not an eco-fascist. I'm not going to say that, like, you know, it's good because you killed all those people yeah. and now they won't be polluting. Like, no, thank yeah. you. Say no to fascism in all its forms. But, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's, I, I don't, I choose to believe that that's not a divisive statement. No, no, but... no. I hope not. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. We, there's like one story that maybe is, like sea tack that story for anybody who's listening ryan don't look it up because it has to be a surprise but um i am mm. really looking forward to doing an episode about that but i was hoping that i'd be able to talk to um people who yeah. knew the people involved in that incident so if if anybody listening to this knows anybody and wants to share you have no obligation to share obviously but if any of you out there have any stories as always like yeah. you can absolutely send us an email um the podcast at gmail.com you can message us on Instagram or TikTok I don't know if I you think, can send I think I think people can if you if you follow but, us I think you can send us messages but if you don't follow us you cannot send messages I think that's how it works Yeah Oh, interesting. So, uh, or again, if you have a short story, if you have like a 60 second story that you want to share, or just again, thoughts, feelings, a correction would be amazing. Um, you can click that little link and there's a, you can send us like yeah. a 60 second voice clip where you tell a story or a correction or just some kind of feeling that you want to share. Um, please um, you can email us and say whether or not it's okay to use it, um, or you can, we can talk about it more, we can talk about it at length. Um, but yeah, we love nothing more than hearing from you guys. So we beg of you. Talk to us. <laughs> yeah, Goodness. we love it. But... I also wanted to say just really quick, I don't so know if you can hear it, Casey, but the yeah. listeners, if you can hear it, there's an insane windstorm where we live right now. <laughs> Which I think everyone has figured out is New York City. Oh, really? <laughs> um, and oh, yeah, yeah. secret. We're not good and to secrets. My but... pre-war windows are not holding up, and it just sounds like a giant whistle, no oh, matter no. where I am in the apartment. So my apologies oh, if my that God. does come through. Okay, great. It is like I, I deafening. Can't it, in here. <laughs> like yeah. it's all I'm hearing. <laughs> well, good. Ugh. Yes. look at you like working tell me about that. Stuart like, just pushing through <laughs> I love Stuart yeah, and our boy, boy. Uh, I wish we knew what happened to him yeah. oh Goodness. my god I want to know I so badly okay. I want to know so badly me too and also I hope that I hope that um so anybody who knows how... uh what was the pilot's name the co-pilot and the pilot yeah like all those guys and Nigel Alistair. and Tim, all of our yes john and our Sue lovely and simon lovely crew. everybody the whole gang don't hate our boy as much i know it's it's hard yeah but it's just like a really yeah 
odd thing, I guess, to happen. Again, like all of these things, obviously, it's amazing that no one died. Obviously, that doesn't mean that it. There's no effect. It doesn't mean that yeah. it's. Right. It doesn't mean exactly. it didn't happen. But I'm overjoyed. Yeah. I'm so grateful Same. that everybody lived. The best kind. The best kind. Thank well, you for thank that you extensive so review so on this uh, this particular crash. It's I like <laughs> the investigation parts as well. Um, it's definitely very interesting how it all happens. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I mean, obviously, Aaron. Everybody who <laughs> yeah. listens to us probably knows who I'm talking about. Uh, mini air crash investigations. Like there are that information is out there. And if that's something you'd like us to focus on more, not maybe necessarily do a whole episode, but if you want us to focus more on the investigation part, we certainly can start mm-hmm. adding that if you find it interesting. And sometimes it's incredibly interesting, right? Like the whole episode on the max. Yeah. So that's really about the investigation. Right. right? Exactly. The flights yeah. themselves were very short, but goodness, but yeah. So if you want to see more of that or hear more of that, let us know. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Pod Crashed. If you noticed anything that we got wrong, or if you have anything to add, you can always email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice memo uh, by clicking the link in the description. There's a 60-second limit on those, but if you have a correction, a story, insight, an opinion, anything, we'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on TikTok and Instagram. Thank you so much again for listening. See you next week.